as we kind of dive in, we're going to spend four weeks kind of outlining what regeneration is. I'm not talking about a program. I'm not talking about a ministry. I'm talking about God's work in our lives. And that's where oftentimes we get to. We, we oftentimes will say things like this, and you're going to be tempted to say the same thing everywhere that you are. Whether you're here on this campus, you're in Edgewood, you're going to be tempted to say one of these two things. Number one, you're going to say, possibly, that I wish my husband was here for this series. Yes? For some of you, you're going to say, I wish my wife was here. Or you're going to say, I wish my son, who hasn't been in church a long time, was here. You're going to say, I wish my coworker was here. And as we dive into this series and we begin to unpack some of the things that are going on in our lives, we're always going to look and say the same thing that many of us say, I wish so-and-so was here today. I wish such and such would have made it today. They need to hear this message. I'm going to encourage them to go online. But I'll just tell you that this message, this series is not for your coworker. It's not for your mother. It's not for your friend. It's not for your brother. It's for you. It's for you. And you're going to be tempted to say, no, 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 no. Regeneration, which is the number two thing that you're likely to say, regeneration is not for me. It's for those sinful addicts. It's for those people that, I mean, they have porn problems or they have problems with, with lust or they have overeating problems. They have codependency issues. Maybe they, they, their alcohol or substance abuse is just overtaking their lives. I don't need those things. That's for someone else. Because what we do in our mind is we oftentimes think that as long as I'm better than the person next to me, then I'm okay. And as long as we find ourselves comparing ourselves to someone that's less than us, then we always feel okay about what? Our patterns of sinfulness. Regardless of where we are in our faith, we're okay with being who we are many times because we always look at someone else to compare ourselves to. But when you, when you, when you overcome the temptation to think this message is for someone else, or you overcome the temptation to think he's not talking to me, he's talking to the regen people that come on Monday night, then maybe God will get somewhere with you. Maybe God will begin to unveil and unpack something with your life because all of us in here have issues. Matter of fact, you may even ask yourself and have been wondering yourself, who is regeneration really for? Like the ministry that happens on Monday nights at Stone Point, like who is that for? And you think, well, you know, I think that one of my neighbors would be really good. I think there is a friend or a coworker. My son-in-law would be, he would be an excellent candidate for that. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to just poll the audience, okay? And I'm going to be looking very hard. And I've got people in Edgewood watching too, okay? If you would say in here that you fall short of the glory of God, meaning that you do not measure up, like you may look good compared to other people and their standards, but according to God and his perfect standard, the word, in your sinful humanity, in your sinful flesh, your nature, you would go, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. Like, you know that. Like, we just raise your hand, okay? Now, I'm looking for the one person that doesn't, okay? <laughs> because you and I need to talk. And like, even in the Edgewood, like, if you're a sinner, then here's the good news. This message series is for you. It's for you. Like, you don't have to look around and wonder who's God talking to. You don't have to get in your car, drive off today, and look at your husband and go, man, I hope the people that needed to hear that heard that today. Because this message is not for everyone else, it's for you. God has you right where he wants you today. It's a predetermined spot in all of the history of your life that God wants to speak to you, and it starts today. Uh, you go, oh, no, 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 I'm not that messed up, but let me explain kind of what, what there were other people who, who thought similar things. And 
Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 18, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. Jesus is going to speak a parable uh, to a handful of people that, that they thought they were righteous, that they had their lives in order. And I know that you here are, are going to be tempted to say, well, I don't think I'm, I'm righteous. And you're going to be tempted to say, I don't think that I have my life all together like these people in this parable that Jesus is speaking to, the Pharisee, the Sadducee. I'm not one of those, but I'm not one of those low dwellers that needs regeneration. And so you would say, I live in the land of the in-between, Right? Yes. Like many of you go, I'm, I live in the land of in-between. I'm okay. I'm like, I'm not, a, I'm not a pharisaical, righteous judge condemning everybody that comes around me. I don't think that I'm so close to God that no one else could achieve to my status. But at the same time, I don't think my life is that messed up. I, I'm okay with my faith. I'm okay. Matter of fact, what's interesting is, is when I talk to people, almost always I'll ask them their spiritual condition. Almost every conversation that I have, I'll say, hey, just tell me where you are spiritually. It's not, it doesn't matter if we're interviewing for someone at Stone Point or if I, it's just someone I'm out friends with or, or I'll go, hey, just tell me where you are. Like, where are you? And they always go, they always say this. I, I'm kind of in the middle. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a six or a seven, you know, I'm, and we kind of are okay with living in the land of in between. And, and look who Jesus came for. I mean, honestly, Luke 18, verse nine, he says this parable to some people who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous, and they, they viewed others with contempt. So that means simply said, they, they looked down on other people, right? Sometimes we struggle with that. The difference between us and these people is that we don't share that out loud, right? Yes. If people knew what you thought, if people knew what I thought, they would go, I don't want to go to this dude's church, why? Because they know that I, hey, if I'm not careful, I think of myself more high than ought. But look what, what happens. Jesus says, there were two men who went up into the temple to pray. And one was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. And so he gives this example of one who's got his life together and one who's at the very bottom. He, he's a bottom dweller. He lives among the, the, the selfish egotistical sinner dwelling with, with people that no one would want to be around. They are the scum of the earth. They are, if you think trailer park trash, that's them. And God says, I, I don't make that, right? He's created us all in the image of God, Psalm 139. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We all have purpose. We all have we all have belonging. We all have meaning. He wants to make a difference in our lives. And so he goes, I'm going to speak to two people. I'm going to speak to the high and lofty, the one who thinks they've got their life together. And he says, I'm going to speak to the what? The bottom dweller, the one who their life is broken and shattered and no one wants to be around them. What's interesting enough is that most of us would identify with being in the land of in-between and God has nothing to say to us in this passage. And I want you to hear this, church. I want you to hear this because this is the majority of churchgoers across the world. We live in the land of in-between. We're so content with being in the middle. We're so content with just going with the flow, not really making any waves. But we, we do not oftentimes dwell with the one who wants to dwell with us. And he says here, clearly in this text, the Pharisee, he stood up and he was praying to himself, God. I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. 
And I presume to think that he might have prayed this out loud. I'm just grateful, God, that you, you did not make me like him. This sorry, no good, half-breed mutt, possibly a Samaritan, most likely just a Jew gone bad, right? Just a guy who had traded over to the Roman agency of tax collecting and oppressing people. He goes, I'm glad that I still uphold the law. I'm still glad that I do religious things. I'm still glad that I live in, in a place where I'm close to God and I'm not like him who's far from God. Interesting enough, look what, look what the tax collector said. After this guy, he goes, I fast twice a week, the, the, the Pharisee, the Sadducee. He goes, I pay tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, contrary difference, the bottom dweller, he says, but the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven. He recognizes how broken he is and he can't even get the strength, muster the courage to look up to the heavens because he knows where he is. He knows exactly where his heart is. And he was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will what? Be exalted. And the reason that I share this passage with you is this, is that oftentimes we think, I, I'm not high and lofty. I wouldn't presume to think that, that I've got my life in order, although there are a handful of us in this room that that is us. We identify more in this passage with the Pharisee, the Sadducee. You can't admit it and you can't see it and neither could they. But that's one of the things you need to be praying for. God, enlighten my heart to your word. Enlighten my heart to the patterns in my life that are sinful that I don't see. God, redeem my trash in my life and make it. And God, if, if, if it's my religiosity, if, if it is my, my structure and, and all the things that I do right that's actually causing wrong, God, reveal that to me. Because God, if it's my standard of living, which actually keeps me from abiding and trusting in you, then God, reveal that. And then there's this other low bottom law, and most of us don't relate. Matter of fact, that's why I love the concept of regen. That's why we looked program after program after program. We looked at Celebrate Recovery. Uh, obviously, many people in here are, are, are very familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and some even go and have had those patterns in your life. But the difference between this AA, um, Celebrate Recovery, are a handful of things. One is this. We do not group people in like-minded sin. We don't take all the porn addicts and put them over in one place. We don't take all the alcoholics and put them in one place. We don't take all the codependents and put them all in one place. Why? Because we know that there's only one symptom to the ultimate problem, that's sin. And it doesn't matter what cough medicine you use to cover your sin. Some use alcohol, some use porn, some use codependency, some use pride, perfectionism. There's a lot of different things that we cope with to cover up the, the hard issue, the root issue of our life, right? But our problem is, is we think, well, that's not really us that he's talking to. That's the people go, that go to Regen. But the reason I love Regen is this, some of the healthiest people in our entire church, the entire body that we have are here every Monday night. And the reason why is this, because they know that no matter what you say about them and no matter what sinful patterns they have in their life, that they've gotten to the point that they're so lowly that they can hardly look up to the heavens and recognize what? 
that even in my sin, God is still good. And so you go, well, if they're the healthiest people, then where am I? Like I'm in the middle because most of us, and if I would say in here, I would identify with being in the middle. Matter of fact, here's another poll question. Whether you're here at Will's Point or you're in the Edgewood campus, here's a question, okay? Now, most of y'all, you don't want to answer this one, okay? First one, I'm a sinner. It was pretty easy, okay? That's like 100% participation, right? This one right here is going to get us down to about 25% participation, right? Yes? Okay. If you would say, honestly, that I don't necessarily relate to the Pharisee up top, but I wouldn't consider myself a bottom dweller. I'm not that tax collector. I, my life's not that jacked up. If you'd say, that's me, like, honestly, like, not going, I don't care who sees me, but you would just say, that's me. Like, that's me. Would you raise your hand? Like, you'd say, I'm kind of in the land of in-between. So that means the rest of you, you're the Pharisee, or you're a sinner that needs the help of Jesus, right? Yes? One other question. Why did many of y'all only raise your hands like this far? Like, isn't it okay? Isn't it okay? Aren't we saying that the church is one of the healthiest places for broken people? And yet we do this because we don't even feel safe here. But isn't that what Jesus says in Matthew chapter nine? He says, when the Pharisees saw this, he says to the disciples, speaking of what his disciples were, were going to be approached with by the Pharisees, he says, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, is it not those who are healthy who need a physician? But it's not those who are healthy that need a physician, but those who are what? Sick. Yes. Isn't the sick that need to know more about God and his compassion? And yet we're so afraid to say, I'm sick and I have things going on in my life and I need help. We would rather, we would rather live under the pretense that my life is okay and that I don't really need healing rather than say, I am broken. I have sinful patterns in my life. And without God, I'm, I'm in trouble. And that's ultimately where the church has to get to, to begin to experience health and vibrancy. But it's the one place that we refuse to go to because we're afraid that other people would look down on us. But I'll tell you this, in Isaiah chapter 57, God is going to speak to a rebellious nation called Judah, the, the southern part of the nation of Israel who had broken off, and he's going to speak to them through a guy named Isaiah, this prophet. And Isaiah is going to share with them who God is, and who God says he is, and who he'll dwell with. And I'll tell you, for all of us in here who we'd say that I live in the land of in-between, that I'm okay with being in the middle, what's interesting enough is you're not found in that passage in Luke chapter 18, and you're not going to be found in this passage in Isaiah 57. So look at it right here. Isaiah 57, look at verse 14. If you don't have your Bibles, I'm going to provide it for you up on the screen. Now Isaiah says, and it will be said, it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstacle out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a holy place. A high and holy place is where I dwell. And interesting enough, if that's your thought of God, then you're correct. God lives in a high and holy place. His name is esteemed above all names. He has authority over all things, people, places, even the spiritual realm. There is nothing that does not come under the subjection of God and his son, Jesus. Everything, all authority under heaven and earth is given to his son. And he says, I am high and lifted up. I am holy and I am exalted among all people. And that is true. 
But what's interesting is, is that if you have a pharisaical approach and you believe that God can, can actually convene with you as you make yourself more righteous towards him, the problem is, is you're dead wrong. Because there's not a single righteous act in your life that gets you so close to the high and holy place. Matter of fact, even our most righteous acts are like filthy rags before him. They just do not compare to the holiness and the splendor of a mighty God. And so we fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us in this place. We would all admit that I'm a sinner. The difference is that we wouldn't say that I'm a sinner and I'm so far down the bottom that I can barely look up to God. We would say I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad as X, Y, and Z. And so we don't appreciate the grace of God nearly as much as some who, what, are like the tax collector or the sinner. But who is it that this God who dwells in a high and holy place, who is it that he looks, he, he looks to help? Look at it. I dwell on a high and holy place and also, also with the contrite and the lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. He goes, I am there for the lowly. I am there for the least of these. I am there for the ones who cannot get their lives together. I am there for the ones who cannot look into the heavens because they are disgraced in their lifestyle. I am there for the, 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 the woman that continues promiscuous relationships. I am there for the man who continues to find substance abuse and, and he finds his joy and his meaning in life and alcohol, but yet it's empty and it's fleeting and it vanishes day in and day out. Every night he wakes, uh, or he, he sits in bars uh, across the county, and he wonders what's going to fill him. And yet women don't fill it. Alcohol doesn't fill it. Nothing fills it. And God says, I am there for the least of these. This is who I dwell with. Interesting enough, God does not dwell in the midst of mediocrity. He does not dwell in the, myth, the abyss of what? Lukewarmness. Yes. He doesn't dwell on works-based living. He doesn't dwell on, hey, I'm going to get my life together here soon. He doesn't dwell in the middle with people who refuse to see their sin, their brokenness, and their shame. He has no regard for those. Why? Because he, he is there for those who are lame and need to walk, blind but yet need to see. And most, most, not all, but most of us fail to see ourselves in such a way. I'm guilty of it, but yet God says, I am there for the least of these. I want to revive the heart of the contrite. Then in verse 16, he says, for I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of those whom I have made. He said to Judah, he's speaking to Judah, he goes, I'm not always going to be angry and upset. There's going to be a day where I no longer hold you in contempt. He goes, there's going to be a day where I, I arrive and I make myself known to the broken. Verse 17, because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry and I struck him. I hid my face and I was angry and he went on turning away in, in the way of his heart. He goes, Judah was rebellious. They, they refused to see their sin. That's why he's speaking to them. That's why Amos spoke. That's why Micah spoke. That's why Hosea spoke. Why? Because all he wanted is the prophets to go and reveal to their people that, hey, you are sinning. You think that you're meeting with God in a high and holy place because of your ceremonial sacrifice, and yet your hearts are far from him. 
You think that you're good with God because you have a religious pattern in your life. Because you go to church on Sunday, because you're in a journey group, because you have a casual dinner club that you go to, and, and you pray together at meals, and, and you, you talk about things, but you, you refuse to get down on the bottom. You refuse to talk about the habitual things in your life. You refuse to talk about the things that are going wrong. You refuse to bring up the sinful patterns in your life. You refuse to talk about your marriage that's broken. You refuse to talk about the things that you're turning to in the midst of the brokenness. Why? Because we're okay. I'm not that bad. And yet God says, I am not going to regard you in your okayness. In your mediocrity, I cannot meet with you. I will not turn my face towards you, but I will hide away. Why? Because you are in sin and your life is dissipating right before you and you don't even know it. And you keep thinking, recovery is for the rejects. Recoveries for those who, did, they just can't get their lives together. And we pray for them. We pray for those people. We, we want to see recovery in our church. We want, re, we want recovery. Matter of fact, like it's sweeping across our county. We're having people drive literally 30, 45 minutes just to come to recovery here. And we go, that's awesome. But I don't need recovery. And God says, I can't dwell with you in the land of in-between. And then he says, 18, I have seen his way speaking of Judah and his rebellion, their, their rebellion, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners, creating the praise of the lips, peace, peace to him who is far and who has come near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. He says, I am there for those who want restoration. Hope is coming. Hope is coming. And I know that you're like, oh, that's so exciting. Hope is coming. Jesus has come. Yes? He says this 700 years before Messiah would land on the scene. He goes, I'm not always going to turn my head away from you. I'm not always going to allow you to live and, and bear your iniquity on your own. He goes, I'm going to come and I'm going to find you in your despair. And for those who will look to me, will call upon me. He says, I'll save them and I'll take them from the land of low living. And I'll give them what life on a high and prominent place. Not because of their actions, because of the actions of Jesus Christ. And he goes, and I'll make them new. And I'll give them meaning and purpose. And we love that. We go, that sounds good. That sounds good. That sounds good. But then we say, not yet. Not yet. I, I mean, I'm going to get there, but I, I've still got some baggage to unpack. I, I've got some forgiveness issues that I've got to work through. Or, or maybe you'd say, I'm just not worthy. I, I'm not worthy. If, if people knew where I've been and what I've done, they would not, they would not find myself worthy. And God, he doesn't, he doesn't want to meet with me. For some of you, you would say, I really do intend to leave the low places and meet with God, convene with him. I really do want him in my life, but I really, I, I want to get out of college first. For some of you, you think if I get married, that will particularly, you know, we'll fix it. For some of you, you've been living in the land of in-between so long and even in the lowly places so long that you say, if I, get, if I just get with someone and we have kids, maybe that will give us hope and purpose and meaning and I'll stop my rebellious living when we have something to focus on. And we always have this one other thing that we'll commit ourselves to. We always say, I want that, but oh no, not yet, right? It's like the guy who wants to live like a teenager until he's 45, and at some point you go, I'm going to settle down one day and I'm going to get committed to God and his church, but just not yet. And God says, I have no regard 
for what? Lofty intentions. I have no regard for what? People who refuse to see their brokenness, but for those who will accept their brokenness, their sin, their shameful patterns. He says, I will see them. I will meet with them. And more importantly, he says, I will heal them. Yes, he'll bring healing to them. And there are many of us in this room that just the, the words right there, that's refreshing to us because you've been in church for a really, really, really long time and you need healing. You need healing from things that were done to you that you couldn't control. You need healing from things that people have said to you that have shaped the image of your life and that's not who God says you are. There are some of you that you need healing right now just because of the the brokenness in your life that you fail to embrace because you think it's not okay to be broken. And God says, I came to live among the broken, for the lowly, for the despised, for the rejected, for the least of these. My friends, can I understand? Can can I help you understand? Like Jesus did not come simply to save the normal American. That's not what he came to do. He is not okay with our churches continuing to be status quo. If you don't believe that, read read the first four chapters of Revelation and the concern that he had with the churches. He despises the land of in-between. He despises people who fail to embrace their brokenness. He despises people who think that living in a land of mediocrity in their spiritual walk is okay. Yes, but he says hope has come. And matter of fact, Jesus would say it himself in Luke 4. Look what he says in Luke 4. In verse 16, it says that he came to Nazareth. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as he was custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he stands there and he gets up to read is what it says in verse 16. And then in verse 17, it says, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Yours says maybe scroll, but the scroll was handed over to Jesus. And he begins to recite a passage out of Isaiah 61, something that was, was said six or 700 years earlier. He begins to recite this and he opens the book and he found the place where it's written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to who? The poor. He goes, the gospel is for the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Who is a captive? Someone who's lived in bondage. Someone who's lived in oppression, slavery. He goes, I'm there to set them free, to recover the side of the blind and to set free those who are oppressed. Jesus is reading this from the book of Isaiah, right? 700 years earlier. And then look what he does. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, meaning I'm, I'm proclaiming that the Lord is coming. And he closed the book, gives it back to the attendant, and he sits down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And then look what he says. And he begins to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The hope that you've been looking for is here. And you are too high and lofty. Your lives are two together. You spend too much time saying, regeneration is for only those people who don't have together. 
those sex addicts, those people who've been smoking pot since they were 13, those people who've been in jail, out of jail, in jail, out of jail. That's what regen's for. And God said, no, no, no. Regeneration. Regeneration is for the lowly and the contrite in heart. Regeneration is for the people who would look to the heavens and say, God, I am not all that I need to be, and the only way that I have any hope of getting there is through Jesus Christ. The one who stands among and says, I am the one who have come for the broken, the poor, and the oppressed. Jesus is indeed the only hope. And do you know what makes regeneration different than Alcoholics Anonymous? Alcoholic Anonymous, although there's 12 steps to the program and all of that's based off of the, the scriptures truly in its founding. The difference is, is that in order to not offend people, they said you need to look to a higher power, that you need to seek out and find your higher power. We don't seek out and find our own higher power because we live in a day and age right now where we make our own higher power. For many of us, we are our own higher power. And if we can't determine it on ourselves, we'll make one up. Jesus is the only higher power. And so that's all, that's all regeneration teaches, whether it be here in this message series or whether it be on Monday nights, because regeneration is not a Monday night program. It's a lifestyle that you live. Regeneration is saying, I do not measure up. And it's, it's truly just coming to, to the point where you say, I am in despair and, and I need the hope of the gospel. I need Jesus more than anything else. And so do you know what our recovery ministry offers? Jesus. And then there's a lot of us in here that you're like, I want to get plugged into a journey group and I'm a little bit timid. I'm a little bit scared. I'm not really sure what that looks like. Or for some of you, you know, I've been trying to get in and they just, they just dropped the ball. We drop the ball all the time. I'll confess to you. We, we just, we do. But if you want to fast track to discipleship, get in regeneration on Monday nights. Why? Because one, if you're a woman, you're going to be with a group of women who will get down and dirty and they'll talk about real life instances. And hey, they talk about issues. Issues that they're facing, issues that are happening in their life, ways that God is healing. If you're a man, hey, you get a fast track with some men. But you know the one thing that's different about regeneration and, and other recovery ministries, even like Celebrate Recovery, is this discipleship track. It's not just 12 steps that you walk through, but it's a lifestyle of reading God's word every day, every single day for a year. Every day, every year. And you literally, you're committing your life to a year of recovery saying, I know that I need help. I know that I'm a place where I, I'm not content to continue to live in this way. And I need healing. And it's a discipleship plan. That's what it is. Recovery in Christ is not a program. It's discipleship. Recovery is admitting where you are and saying, I need help. Matter of fact, what's interesting is Jesus would say, Right there in Luke chapter 4, he goes, I am the one who's come. Today the scripture has been fulfilled. And it said in Luke, there's an account that it, they, they go and they take him and they're going to lead him off the cliff. But it says that he made his way through the crowd and he disappeared. And he lands in a place called Capernaum is where he is. And so the reason that Jesus disappeared in Luke chapter 4 is because his ministry was just beginning and it wasn't his time yet to go to the cross. So Jesus and his authority and the power that he has, he can just vanish. And he did. He just slipped right through the crowd and, and they, don't, they don't have the means to kill him at that point, but they will, right? A few years later. But he vanished in the crowd and it says that he settled in the land of Capernaum and Galilee. 
And what's interesting is, is after that instance in Luke 4, you would see that crowds would begin to find him and gather him. Matthew 4, you see the very thing, same thing. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says that he came for those who needed, what, healing and, and brokenness. And he would go to the synagogues and he would teach and he would preach and he would see people healed. He would heal blind people, lame people, and he was making himself known and people were following him. And it brings you to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus would utter the very first words of his ministry. In Matthew chapter 5, he's going to say a variety of things in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5 to, to chapter 7. But just the first three verses is, is where I want you to just look at real quickly. Because this is what he says. <clears throat> verse verse uh, 1 of Matthew 5, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, the disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit simply means blessed are those who recognize they are not God. Blessed are those who recognize that they can't manage their lives on their own. Understand? And then he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And, and, and do me a favor, don't quote this on Facebook when someone dies, because that's not what it means. Blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who cry, because God's going to bring comfort. God will bring comfort, but that's not what this text means. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The idea of blessed of those who mourn is the idea, blessed are those who recognize their sin and are broken over it. Blessed are those who are so contrite in their sin that they can't look up to heaven because of their brokenness. Blessed are those who begin to sing a song and they just begin to be over, overcome by God's spirit and the brokenness of their life and they can't sing, they just weep because they say, I, I, I am poor in spirit. I need God. I'm not where I should be. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. God is there for those who recognize their sin and say, I'm not content to live here. I'm not content to be this person. Blessed are the gentle. A better word there is blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek is not what all of us think. Meek is not weak, men. When you, when you believe the gospel, when you believe that you need help from a righteous God who lives in the high and holy place, when you don't regard yourself as such, and you say, I'm coming, you're not giving yourselves over to a figment of your imagination, you're not giving yourself over to some uh, washed out religious theme that many people in our world today would say, what in the world are they giving themselves to? Are they ignorant and foolish? They're weak. It's not about a weak-minded man. It's about a meek-minded man. A meek-minded man says, I know who Christ is. I know who I am. Upon him come in your life, blessed are those who are meek. And it's a bridled stallion. You have all the power that you need, but you don't continue to live, what, unbridled. Yes? Isn't that our world? A bunch of unbridled people doing their own things. And he said, but blessed are those who are meek, who are gentle, who are humble in heart. Why? Because they'll inherit the kingdom of God. How is that? They'll inherit all that God has for them when they allow the Spirit of God to adjust their lives and their living. He'll make himself known to them and they'll no longer live out of controlled, selfish lives in the flesh, but they'll live what? Upright and self-controlled lives in the spirit. Why? Because they're meek and they're gentle. Do they have all the power that God needs to fulfill in their life? Absolutely, but it's bridled. Yes, yes, yes. And so you look at this and you go, okay, 
where am I in this text, where I am in this message. And whether you're here in Wills Point or you're there in Edgewood with us this morning, the bottom line is you're all asking the same question. Who's this message for? And if you're having to ask yourself this question at the end, then you clearly have missed the point. Because the message is not for that. Like you don't need to be nudging everybody around you. The message is for you. And here's what it is. Recovery only comes when you're able to do three things. Number one, recovery comes when you're able to admit, when you're able to admit who you are, that you're poor in spirit, that you don't measure up. Matter of fact, step one in regeneration program is simply this. We admit that we are powerless over our addictions, our brokenness, and our sinful patterns. That in our own lives, in our own power, our lives are unmanageable. That's what it means. People who get to the point where they're able to look up and say, God, I need you. This is the very first thing they, they say. I admit that I can't do this on my own anymore. The second thing is that you, you come to believe. Come to believe what? Come to believe that God is the one who can fully restore us. We live in a day of self-help plans. That if your life is broken, then pick up a book and read it. If your life is broken, then go to a counselor. If your life is broken, call the pastor and set up a meeting with him. No, no, no. If your life is broken, you need to meet with Jesus. He's the only one that can fully restore you. I will be the first to confess to you that I would love to help you any way I can, but I fall short of the glory of God. And what, what you need is not more of me. You need more of the one who can heal you from the inside out. And that is Jesus Christ. He is the one who can fully restore you. In essence, you can't, but God can that's the premise of step one and two in regeneration. The, the premise of the book of the Bible, isn't it? So regeneration isn't for everyone else. It's for us. In essence, I fall short of the glory of God, and he has the power to redeem me. He has the power to restore me. That is the message and the hope of the gospel. Yes? And it brings you to this step three. And the step three, I think, is one of the hardest. And it's, it's committing or, or trusting. Why? Because we live in a society and even a church right now that our heart knowledge is the 18 inches that actually keeps us from seeing God's saving grace. That we would say with our lips all day long that our lives are unmanageable and broken and that God's the only one that can restore us. But the problem is that we just say it with our lips and our head and we never fully give him our heart we have a hard time trusting. Why? Because you go, well, they just don't know what I've done. They just don't know who I am. God just can't really take this life that's shattered and, and I'm going to get there, but I'm just not there yet. And so if you just give me a little bit of time, then, I, then, I'll, then I'll eventually get there. And the bottom line is you don't need more time. You don't need more commitments that you can break. What you simply need to do is say, and maybe you're here today, maybe you're here in Wills Point, maybe you're in Edgewood, and the first step to your healing today is not regeneration tomorrow night, but it's saying, you know what? My life is unmanageable. It's broken. It's full of sinful patterns. It's full of lies and deceit. God's the only one who can fix it. I know that, but it's time to trust. And my prayer is, is that as a church, we would support people who are ready to trust. Because it's one thing to say that we're, we're a church that, that loves, what, no perfect people allowed. Like, that's the slogan, right? Drive some cra people crazy. Why? Because they're like, why would you let that type of people in your church? Because of Jesus and his words, right? 
the church is not a hospital, what, a museum for saints, but it's a hospital for what? Sinners, right? And we treat it like a museum. We start putting plaques everywhere. We put names in our chairs. We name things after us. It's ridiculous. Because there's only one name that every name should bow to, bow to, and what? It's Jesus Christ. And when your life becomes unmanageable, we don't need to look to the one who made the building. We need to look to the one who what lives in us what, without a building. And his name's Jesus. And I think if we're not careful, church, we make it about the wrong thing, a bunch of religious rituals and living in a life of the land in between. And if that's you and me, then we need to repent today. But if you're here and you go, I'm a bottom dweller, let me tell you something. God came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's the bottom dweller. That's the one who goes, my life is broken and unmanageable. And hey, praise God, because when you can confess that, when you understand the root of your symptoms, then you can go to the very physician that can cure you. And his name is Jesus. But most of us, in our day and age, we never get there because we're okay with being okay. But my prayer is today that you would say, I, I can't live there anymore. Amen? And so if you'd like to talk to one of our pastors, we're going to be available, whether it be here, or you can uh, find someone in Edgewood. But hey, we want to pray for you and encourage you. We want to talk to you about living, not in the land of in-between, but with a God who came to save and redeem us. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the word that so richly dwells in us. And Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Father, you would make yourself known to us. And Lord, help us to know and understand that you didn't come for the lofty. You didn't come for the religious. You didn't come for the ones who had their lives together. But you came for those who were broken, who were poor in spirit who mourned over their sin and who recognized in their own lives that, that, they're, that they're broken and that they cannot manage it on their own. And so, Lord, I pray that for those of us in here who would recognize and confess that we can't live life on our own, that, God, that you would speak to us and that you would make yourself known to us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.